The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. It's about trust. Yeah, yeah. It's about faith. It's about trust. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. Your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she privately mediates business, employment, divorce, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Marie's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI. She also trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Samari, who's your guest today? We have a wonderful guest with us today, Lloyd. Her name is Sunny Dawn Johnson, and she is the author of this wonderful book that I just almost finished reading. It's called The Love Never Ends, Messages from the Other Side. And we've had other mediums on our show. We had an attorney who was a medium. And I, it's very interesting, I think, for people to understand that really, as you, you may have conflict with someone who's passed on, or you may have conflict with your own self about maybe that fact that you couldn't save someone, or guilt, or whatever, but there are ways that you can heal this even when the person has passed to the other side. So we're going to be talking about all these wonderful things that are very inspiring, and I think help us not to be afraid to to pass on and to die because none of us are going to get out of here alive. So we might as well see that there's some good coming from it. I want to tell you a little bit about Sunny before we start talking to her. Uh, Sunny Don Johnson is an world-renowned psychic medium, and she's an inspirational speaker and an author. Sunny has performed thousands of readings and has spoken internationally on the subject of angels, mediumship, and intuition. She's the author of six books, and her latest book, which is the one I just have been reading, called Lover, Love Never Ends, Message, A Message from the Other Side. Let me say that again, since I've kind of lost my voice a little bit. The Love Never Ends message from the other side. And you can find out more about Sunny at our website at conflicthealing.com. And you can see her picture and her bio. And, of course, we link to her website, which will tell even more, at Sunny, that's S-U-N-N-Y, Dawn Johnston, that's J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N dot com. So we're thrilled to have her join us. Thank you so much for joining us from Arizona. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
Yeah, so, you know, I, I wonder when you talk with people, sometimes there maybe was a conflict between uh, a family member, maybe a spouse or a, a sibling or someone. Um, and does that ever come up in your mediumship where there is kind of a healing of that conflict or that guilt that maybe someone feels that they weren't able to save their loved one? Oh, absolutely. I mean, daily probably in in, in Many, many, many of the um, readings I do and, and when I do group counselings and things like that, I would say that it's very, very consistent um, with, you know, that, that guilt that, you know, I didn't say everything I wanted to say or um, I wasn't able to help the way I wanted to help or I didn't get there in time to be with them. Any and all of those certainly are, are um, struggles that people tend to carry with them sometimes for the rest of their life. Yes, And, you know, the information that the spirit world gives us is that it's so not necessary, you know, that they totally see and know and understand the whole, they see the whole picture. So they, they know that you weren't meant to be there and, and they know that your heart wanted to be and, and, and they understand even beyond the conflict that maybe they couldn't understand here at that particular time. And so I think a lot of times we, we carry that unresolved um, pain and guilt and, and, and shame and all of those things. And the spirit world over and over and over again um, says, you know, it's not necessary, you know, uh, let, it, let it go, basically. Yes, yeah. And I know even I have family members that have feelings of guilt and my, my nephew when my sister died that, you know, he, you know, a young guy, you know, fights with their mom, that that happens, and he didn't have a chance to apologize and they didn't have a chance to work things out before she passed, but, you know, she was in a coma, and I told him that, you know, she can hear you in the coma. And even afterwards, I said, you know, she can hear you. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. It's absolutely correct. You know, they, they um, a lot of people just struggle so much with letting go of that pain that they, they don't allow themselves to believe it. Um, it's almost like we punish ourselves with our guilt, and that, that somehow makes us feel more connected than if we felt the freedom of not having that guilt. And, and it doesn't really make sense, but anybody who's walked that journey understands it. Right. You know, I, I was with my ex-mother-in-law when she passed, and she couldn't communicate. Um, she'd had a stroke, and, and, and yet she communicated beautifully. You know, she couldn't use words. She couldn't move her body. She couldn't open her eyes, but I could hear her. Um, I could hear her to the point that as we were in the room, she would, she would tell me, you know, that her family was there. I started to see the angels and some of her family members that I'd never met start to come in from the other side into the space that we were in. Mm. And, um, and actually, she literally told me to, that when she died, she didn't want to be seen without her eyebrows. Yeah. And I, I said, well, I don't know because I've never put eyebrows on. I didn't even know how to do it. And I said, I don't know how to put, I, I mean, I'm having this conversation with someone that seemingly can't have a conversation. But, of course, I could hear her say, don't let me out of here without my eyebrows on. Oh. So I think that, you know, it, it, it is really, um, the spirit world always wants us to recognize that we make such a big deal out of death. And I understand why we struggle so much with it. But from their perspective, it's just stepping into another vibration. It's just literally on the other side in the other room, you know. And, mm. and so if we could not carry so much density and 
fear around it, it could be such a different experience than it is now. Exactly. So how long have you been involved in mediumship work? And, you know, how did you, I know you talk about it in your book, how this started to come when you were young, very young. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about that inception? Well, you know, my, my background is, I think, similar to a lot of people's. The only difference is um, I didn't keep it turned off or shut down for as long as some people do. So I think a lot of us are very, I, I think we're born connected to spirit and, and knowing and wise and insightful. And then, you know, when we hit about five or six years old, we start um, pushing it down, ignoring it, denying it, because nobody else is talking about it either. And so for me, um, at the age of 13, my first experience was connecting with my guardian angel. And um, I literally woke up one night in the middle of the night, and I looked up, and my guardian angel was above my bed and um, hovering over me, and I'd never even, I'd never even believed I had a guardian angel, so to see it made it, of course, real for me. Um, and then shortly after that experience, everything, just the whole world opened up, because I started asking for it, too. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool, because to me, that felt much better than the physical world. I was always trying to escape the physical world, and, um, and it was very dense and heavy and hard for someone that was so sensitive, and so... When I discovered that, oh my gosh, there's this, this vibration, this energy, this whole other realm, I started asking, allow me to see you and feel you and hear you and know you. And then I started having experiences and seeing a ghost that lived in our house and seeing energies around other people. And, and so it began at the age of 13, but the struggle for me was for the next 15 years, really, um, I really pushed against it as much as I wanted it and knew that it felt right. I was afraid of being judged. Um, I was afraid of being different. Um, I didn't want people to, to look at me funny, and, and I really didn't know how to handle it. And so I, I pushed it away, pushed it down, ignored it, denied it, did all the things that, that many of us do until literally I could no longer do it. Um, and that was when I was with my mother-in-law, Dorothy, who, who told me to put her eyebrows on. Yeah. Um, it was at that experience when she passed and the experience I had with her where literally when, when, when her spirit left her body, it went through my body mm-hmm. and I was changed. It was no longer an option to ignore it. It was no longer an option to deny it. And within um, a year, I stepped into hospice training and became a hospice volunteer and opened up into, into mediumship and energy healing and, and doing the readings that I'd always done my whole life I just never called them that, you know? Right. So, you know, it's hard for a 13-year-old when there's such pressure to be like all your peers. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you know, we don't teach in our society to be unique and to, uh, you know, be who you are, is, you know, especially at that age. Everybody wants to be like everybody else, so that's a, that's a tough thing. And then, of course, how did your family react at first? Well, you know, I, I was raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, so just add a little extra pressure <laughs> to it, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. So I just I set myself up real good there. Um, so my, my, my immediate family, my parents, actually were really good with it, um, it because my mother was open and into all of that and having her own experiences, and so was my little brother. Um, and so that part was fine. It was outside of my home that it wasn't safe. And I, I discovered that very quickly and, um, and, and received the judgment and the criticism and, and, and the, the kids not being able to come over to our house any longer, 
those types of experiences started to happen, and which shut me down even more. Um, right. Because I just, yes, I wanted to be like everybody else. And there was not one aspect of me, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I was overweight, so I didn't look like everybody else. I, um, I was, tended to be really gifted in school, so that wasn't cool, so I wasn't cool that way. I was not, I didn't go to the church like everybody else did, so I didn't fit in. So there was not one way that I fit in, so... So this was just another another thing to show me that how different and how how I wasn't good enough, basically. Right, right. And it took me fifteen years of struggling with that to really find a place of opening up and going. You know what? What you, you it is who you are, Sunny. Get over it. And I was twenty eight. Right. I mean, I had dabbled in it. I had dipped back in and then ran away again, and then dipped back in and then ran away again. But I was twenty eight years old before I had the ability to really say you know what, you got to love yourself enough to do this. And it really was my mother-in-law passing and, and her pushing me from the other side mm-hmm. to embrace those gifts. Yeah. You know, it's funny when, when you tell that story about your mother-in-law. When my mother died, <clears throat> um, she was in hospice, and I was uh, just, you know, she just when I left the room is when she died. My sister and I left the room, and then we came back in. And she, they had called us, and she had died. And um, I was looking for her teeth. You know, she had had um, false teeth, and I was looking for her teeth. And my sister said, what are you doing? And I said, um, I just know she wants me to put her teeth in. I don't know why I know. And then I started to do it, and she goes, how do you know what you're doing? I go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how. I don't even know how I'm doing this. I said, maybe Mom's, like, up there directing me because Absolutely. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. I know she wants me to do it before the coroner comes or whatever, whoever is coming to get her. I just know this, and I'm just going to do it. So my sister's going, oh, I don't know how you could do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, but that's exactly how it is. It's yeah. Internal guy. I literally heard her voice, but it is an internal guidance that says, do this. Because right. even... Even in that experience, me, literally, I'd never put eyebrows on myself. I was 28. I'd never had eyebrows done ever, not even waxed them or plucked them. And she's like, and I said, I, and I said out loud, I don't have an eyebrow pencil. <laughs> and she, and I heard her say, look in your purse. And I had an eyeliner. And so I used, it wasn't even the right color, but I used the <laughs> eyeliner to put her eyebrows on. <laughs> I know. I, I just, you know, that's it's funny when you said that because it just jumped into my mind what happened with my mother. Well, and you know, one, one thing that you said that I think is common for a lot of people is, and they ask me this a lot, is why did they leave as soon as I left the room? You know, yeah, they don't want you to the room, be there. Right. Gone. Right. Um, that is so common. And, and, and the opposite happens, too. So um, the opposite is that sometimes they literally um, wait until you get there. And as right. soon as you walk in, they pass. Right. It depends on the person, but a lot of times they they don't want um, that to be the last memory. They don't want right. to feel the pain or the sadness or the grief, or they don't want you to feel it. So, in their in in their the human aspect of them, oftentimes they're trying to protect us one way or the other, depending on right. what the experience is. Yeah, you know, it's, I have a really cool story I'll share real quickly if you yeah. don't mind about sure. a situation like that. I had a client that. Um, had brain cancer, and she. I spent the day with her. She was just getting ready to to pass, and and and. But she'd been that in that way for two weeks, where she wasn't eating, she wasn't drinking. They couldn't figure out why she was still alive, and right. um, and everybody was just beyond um, frustrated and struggling because 
she just wouldn't let go. And like, they asked me to come and see her and see if intuitively I could get a sense. And, and my sense immediately was, um, call her brother. Her brother needs to come. And they said, well, he came about a month ago, but he won't come back. He doesn't want to see her like that. And I said, well, she's just going to hang out then until he does something. Right. And so she, he did. He came. I left. And about an hour later, he came. He literally walked in the room and he said, um, hey, Jimmy, which was her name. Hey, Jimmy. And then he went into the restroom to try to compose himself, and she died when he walked back in. Yeah. Like, literally, she just needed him to come. Now, the backstory of that is that when his mom passed, he was on a, me- uh, on a, on a motorcycle trip, and he didn't, um, he wasn't there when she died, and he always felt guilty, so guilty, that he never rode his motorcycle again. Mm. And she was not going to let him have the same experience with her that he'd had with his mom. Yes. Yeah. And so it was a beautiful gift, and it was a way of her protecting him so that he didn't have to go through that grief and have that conflict within him of, should I have stayed, should I have gone, I shouldn't have, you know, the, the right. same questions that he'd asked about his, about his mom for the last 10 years. Exactly, exactly. And when my sister died, um, it was interesting because we were all in the room except for my nephew. He was downstairs. She was in the hospital. And... Um, and so we're, you know, we we heard the death rattle, and we're going, oh my god, oh my god, you know, this is it, because she was in hus- you know, in the hospital, and they told us it was going to happen, and um, we said, where's Ronnie, her, her the son that I told you that didn't, you know, have a chance to say he was sorry, and she she just like her heart started beating stronger until we found him, and then he came in, and then. She died with all of us there. because yeah, she, so she knew that she knew that he couldn't. He she couldn't leave with him in that kind of conflict internally. At yes. least he was there. Yes, yes, it was so obvious what was going on. That's, it's really amazing. There's so many stories like that. I've had so many experiences in in mm-hmm. my own personal life and with clients and students that um, that really make you know. You know, one of the things I do believe is that we go and we're meant to go, and yes. not a minute. Earlier or later, because of the, that, those exact situations that I've seen so many times, that, that they stay to, to really heal that conflict for someone else, or at least give them the opportunity to have a different experience around it. Yes. Obviously, so, it would be their choice, ultimately, if they want to let go of that guilt or pain or not. Mm-hmm. So, even though you have this gift, you um, it seems like you believe, in, and your book gives instructions on how to do this, you believe that... All of us have the ability to connect with loved ones who I have do. passed. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I really, in my experience, so I, I've done, the, done this professionally for about 15 years, um, and, uh, and before that, obviously, just did it. And uh, through all of the sessions that I've seen and all of the people that I've worked with, spirit and non-spirit, um, what I found is that it's the heart connection that is what, what I need to connect with. And so for me, I tap into the energy of the person in spirit, but I do it through the heart connection of the client that's in front of me. Mm. And so what I've realized is that the heart connection is the strongest connection to the loved ones in spirit. So for anybody who's lost someone, they have the ability to connect with that person. They may not believe it. They may not understand it. They may not know how to interpret it, but they have the ability to do it. Um, for me as a medium, of course, I have the opportunity, the ability to be able to connect with other, with other people, not just those people that are close to me. 
but my observation so many times has been that everyone that, that has that heart connection, it's already happening. They just don't realize it. They just don't recognize the signs. They don't, they don't believe that they can do it. They, they, may, they think they're making things up or they're trying to, to analyze or overanalyze situations that are happening when spirit really says we're all spirit embodied anyway. So when we drop the body, then we're just spirit. Well, if spirit's in body or out of body, spirit is still connected. That oneness is still there, and that's how we connect. So it doesn't mean that someone, you know, like, for example, somebody that's not a medium but has a heart connection to their dad, that they can really communicate and connect with their dad. It doesn't mean that person is going to go and do a reading for their friend. Right, but right. But it means that for the person who you have, have who's passed, absolutely, with, with no question in my mind, can you connect with them if you pull your attention, energy in, get into a heart space, and tune into the presence of that person? Yes. I think so often people are in their grief and in their sadness and, and have their own conflicting pain around the loss that they focus so much on the absence of someone that they can't experience the presence. Right. And, right. you know, Spirit guided me when I was writing this book. Literally, the words were... You cannot focus on the absence and experience the presence. You mm. have to you have to focus on their presence in being right now to yes. experience their presence. Yes. You were talking a minute ago about signs and symbols and what to look for. So what are some of the signs and symbols that you've learned to look for in recognizing this this spirit world language? Oh, you know, there's so many and they come so they're so different for so many people. You know, a lot of really common ones are uh, animals or birds or butterflies, you know, some, some kind of um, ladybugs, things like that. But it's individual, so it's, it's connected to them for a reason. You know, um, one, of, one of my clients um, lost her daughter. She was four years old when she passed. And mm-hmm. I went to her service um, and, uh, and, and um, helped her. I'm a minister, so I, I do a lot of funerals. And so as, as um, someone there just on the outside observing the situation, I was able to, to just be a support for her. Well, I had gone to see the daughter about three weeks before she passed, and she told me that she wanted butterflies at her funeral. Mm-hmm. And so and she couldn't communicate. She, she um, never did speak in her entire four years. Mm-hmm. And so I told the mom she wants butterflies at at her funeral, and so the mom said, well, yeah, we've already talked about that. How does she know? And I said, well, she knows. Just because she can't communicate doesn't mean she doesn't know. So at the funeral service, um, a butterfly flew up, and this was in January. Right, right. Flew up, landed on her heart, the heart of her dress, right where her heart was, Mm. and sat there for three minutes. Beautiful. And so it was a validation for that mother. But we we have so many different signs, you know, rainbows, um, particular clouds, sometimes a falling star, um, symbolism, a heart, sometimes uh, an an elephant, an image of an elephant, um, sometimes a, a numbers particular numbers, like a lot of times the birthday or the death day of the person um, will show up on their clock and on license plates, and, and that's a sign. Um, Dolphins. Uh, there's so many different yeah. ways. And then, of course, we have the dreams and the visions and the deja vus that are all signs as well. Right. I know. So, uh, after my father-in-law died, who I was very close with, Oh my goodness, I had this extremely vivid dream of him. Mm-hmm. Extremely vivid. 
like I could hug him and feel him. And then I woke up and um, I knew I know that he was there to visit. Yeah, and that's what that. I always try to remind people is that isn't a dream, that's an experience. And yes. they really are sitting, being with you in that space because when you, when you go to sleep, your vibration raises so you don't have the resistance any longer. Right. You know, right. I, had a, I had a dear friend of mine, he was like a brother to my husband and I, um, committed suicide three years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, talk about conflict. Yeah. Um, and, and the greatest amounts of conflict that come in so many different ways through families when, when somebody um, passes in, right. in, through suicide. and um, Kind of blaming everybody. The blaming yeah. and the shaming. It's, it's the ugliest. Yes. Uh, you just see the ugliest of human behavior in, that, right. in those situations. Mm. Um, and at the same time, the opportunity for the most beautiful is people can move out of that. And so um, I, was, uh, I was writing his service. I was doing his service um, for his, his celebration of life, and I was writing a service and his number, I didn't know this at the time, uh, I found out at the service, but his number was 44. And everywhere that I looked, everything that I saw was 44. And I knew 44 <laughs> meant something, but I didn't know why it meant something because I didn't know that, that was his football number and that that was a big deal because I didn't know him in those days. Right. So when I went to the funeral, I discovered that. But there was a moment when I was writing a service, and I was, I was having a, an emotional moment, and I was typing, and for the, for the next, like, five lines, his name was Mike. The next five lines, every single word that I typed started with the letter M. <laughs> every single one. And when I would hit a, the space bar, an M would come up. And then if I put, you know, ask, it would say mask. And if I put the, it would have an M in front of the. For, like, five lines, it wouldn't, until I noticed it. Because I didn't notice it. I was just <laughs> typing. And then I looked up, and I was like, oh, my God. And I kept typing, and it just kept being M. It was like... That was, again, a symbolic way of him knowing, hello, I'm right here with you, and I know what you're feeling, and I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the words. And so I think that when we, when we pay attention, when we're really present, we experience their presence. And it's yes. not like they're gone. Yes, the physical form is gone, but they're not gone. Right, right. I know whenever I have a friend that has someone that passed in, or a family member or even me, I always, I always say, ask your loved one to send you a sign. Mm-hmm. Send you a sign and then look for it. Yes. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it is beautiful. And, and they will continue to do that until we either move through that human emotion to a place where we feel much more settled um, with it or until it's time for them to move forward. And so the signs are something that we'll see. You know, I, I had a gal last week that was in, that's a client of mine whose um, father died and I didn't know this while I was talking to her, but he kept showing me rainbows. And so I said, um, he's, he's going to come to you through rainbows. You're going to see a rainbow. You're going to walk into Target, and all you're going to notice are rainbows. You're going to have a, a crystal that's going to you know, land on your hand, and it's going to look like, like everything is going to be rainbows. That's how he's going to communicate with you. And she just started crying, and she picked up her phone, and she had a picture of a rainbow. Mm. And when she, found, when she went to go see where her dad had died, yeah. there was a rainbow mm. right there. And so it was a beautiful validation for her because she saw the rainbow. She knew what I was talking about, but I didn't. Right, right. And then it, start, and then it came full circle and it made sense to her. And then since then, she sent me probably six in a, in a week. Oh, it's and so it's not raining here in Arizona. <laughs> right, right, right. 
So, you know, people who are listening, they might think that we're you and I are both crazy or whatever. But, you know, I mean, this is so validating for people when they see this really happen with their own lives and they start to understand it. But so, you know, people fear in, in our society, especially uh, unlike some other societies, they really fear death. What is it that, that we fear about death? You know, I, I think that we've been trained that it's final. Mm. Um. That, that there's no, there's nothing after that. that there's, even though a lot of people believe in a heaven and all of that, and people use the language of I'll see you in heaven and things like that, I think that it's been, it's been, there's so much fear that's been passed down for a variety of reasons. I think it's been used for control and for manipulation. The fear energy has to cause us to do certain things that are right or wrong. You know, we, we, we've kind of comp- created... Um, experiences around that but ultimately I think that it's the finality of it and what people don't recognize is you know birth in this world is death in the spirit world right right and death in this world is birth in the spirit world there is a huge celebration happening on the other side in the birth of the person that we're that we feel like is dying here and that's such a perfect way to end. We are out of time. So just um, I just want to give the name of your book. Sunny uh, Don Johnston wrote this wonderful book, The Love Never Ends, Messages from the Other Side. And give your website, Sunny, and it's time for us to go. The website is my name, Sunny, S-U-N-N-Y, Don, D-A-W-N, Johnston, J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N dot com. Okay, thank you so much. Thank and we'll you. have you back again. Kate, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com and write us an email about what's important to you about healing conflict in your own life. Thanks. It's about trust. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.